Welcome to Authorized, Tertiary Tomes, a sub-podcast within Authorized where we discuss books that are not novelizations but similarly owe their existence to a film. Tertiary Tomes are perpetually confused about what they are and what they want to be. These books are unsure whether they are commenting upon the lavish lifestyle and, and warped morals of rich teenagers or gleefully condoning them. On a sentence-by-sentence basis, these stories oscillate between incisive character insight and wide-eyed wonder at how cool money and status are, somehow aware of its implications enough to say, no, I'm not concerned with that. Their most damning quality, however, is the way in which tertiary tomes eschew character arcs, or construct character arcs so minor and inconsequential that they barely qualify as any sort of crisis. Tertiary tomes assume, perhaps correctly, that the young adults turning their pages are just happy to be back in a world they love, with no concern for narrative movement whatsoever. We are your hosts, a trio of Bettys in a sea of Monets. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Johnny Pomato. And I'm Hannah Blackman. Clueless is a series of, believe it or not, 20, 20. novels. 20! By various authors. They follow the continued adventures of Cher Horror. Wow, my mouth gave up on that one. (laughs) Rorex? They follow the continued adventures of Cher Horowitz and her posse of teenage friends, endlessly curious about the world. In each entry, Cher faces a new opportunity or obstacle and often finds that the two are one and the same. These challenges can come from within, but all too often spring from without, and then pass, and are largely forgotten. The 20 books. 20. In the Clueless series. 20 books. I would have guessed more. And 21, including the novelization. Were all published in 1995. (laughs) What? According to the internet. Though some of the physical books say 1996. That's stunning. Which means you might have gotten a second printing. Okay, we'll talk about this. Go ahead. They cycle through a rotation of three authors, H.B. Gilmore, who novelized the film, plus Randy Ricefield and Jennifer Baker, with only two late series entries going to different writers. The entire series was published by Archway Paperback and Pocket Books. Today on Authorized, we are covering the first four of the 20, count them 20, tertiary tomes. Do you think you can get all 20 in a box, like in a cardboard display box? No, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that if that existed, I would have found it. <laughs> I've done so many Google searches for clueless books, like clueless book set. Let's, you're on a list now, I'm sure. <laughs> Let's go through these. Well, you know what? I'll introduce our guest. Yeah, our guest that. today, returning from just days ago on our Clueless episode to talk about books that, in my opinion, are even worse. <laughs> Sam Myers, sorry about this. You know, I it was an interesting exercise. I can't say I enjoyed reading the book that I was assigned, but... There are, there are parts of it that I am excited to share with the three of you. I'll put it that way. You know, it'll be fun to relive parts of it together. <laughs> this is the this, this is the great thing about this podcast, which is so quality week after week, which is it. If a book is really good, it's like fun to be like, yeah, it's so good. Look at this. Look at this. If a book is 
terrible or or really disappointing, it's fun to tease that apart. Um, it's really only the space in the middle where it's like an extremely rote uh, retelling of the movie that 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 it loses a little juice. It's fun to be like, what the hell happened here? And let's go through these titles. These books were published in 1995. Maybe some of them came out in 1996. Maybe Hannah's correct and I got a second printing of some of these books or something like that. The, the thing about this undertaking as a writer is whether these books came out in 95, whether they came out in 96, whatever, it seems evident that for some reason, maybe because the movie was such a hit, they ordered 20 books in a batch like as as publishers they were like you have to write us 21 books in essentially a calendar year and if you look at the breakdown of these titles which some of the titles are just funny we've got the the four we did share negotiates new york an american betty in paris achieving personal perfection and shares furiously fit workout that's jennifer baker randy reisfeld gilmore and reisfeld again uh, then we get a Gilmore, Reisfeld, Gilmore, Reisfeld, Gilmore, Reisfeld, Gilmore, Gilmore, Reisfeld, Gilmore, Reisfeld, Gilmore, Reisfeld, Carla Jablonski, Elizabeth Leonard, Gilmore. These. Why did you mention Jennifer Baker in the intro? I didn't hear her name but once. Oh, because I made a gigantic mistake. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fine. Jennifer Baker wrote Share Negotiates New York and didn't recur, but I, I mm. thought that she was part of the rotation. This is a two-hander between uh, wow. Reisfeld and Gilmore with other people uh, involved. Th- these books are not, are not um, you know, they're not the most academic, they're not the most dense thing we've ever read, but they do run at least 140 pages, and to be tasked with essentially writing 10 of them in a year, I can't even fathom. Well, it is shocking that they did all like come out in one big bulk, uh, again, anticipating the success of the show, I guess. I-, I would have thought that they trickled out over time. And then even more shocking, well, I guess I-, I didn't check with the other titles, but I also assumed, well, each book must be like at least a template or one comes before the other. There must be an episode to correlate with each book, but there's not as best as I could tell, or at least mm-hmm. with my book uh, was not an episode because I couldn't cheat by watching it and not reading the book. So <laughs> I, I read this book cover to cover on a train to Philadelphia and uh, I made the woman in the seat next to me, I'm sure very uncomfortable when she saw <laughs> what I was reading because I was clearly a psychopath. I will say on the subject of timeline, publishing timeline, mine does frame some of the books as coming soon on the first page. Mm. Like it says, Mm -hmm. look for Clueless and American Betty in Paris and Clueless Achieving Personal Perfection. And they are staggered like by month. Like it says coming mid-January of 96 and coming mid-March of 96. Like almost like you're anticipating new episodes of a TV show. So. Wow. That's weird. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense because like you're dealing with teenage mindsets, right? And it's a lot more exciting, even as an adult, to like turn a page and be like, here's a book or two. But it would be so overwhelming to turn the page and be like, hope you like this book. There's 19 other ones. <laughs> so. 
Um, I would think that they came out on a monthly basis, pretty much. Yeah. You'd read one. It would take you a month to read it. You'd go back to the bookstore with your mom and you'd buy the next one. Mm -hmm. And you'd do that for 19 months. (laughs) (laughs) Bookstore might be optimistic. This might be one of those like grocery checkout aisle things. It can be both. Yeah. I just think like so fondly of like the children's section of a bookstore, mm-hmm. you know, where like you would go and you'd be like, I want to read one of the Clueless books. And you'd look at the shelf and there'd be 20 books all lined up yeah. with multiple copies of each. And you go like, Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My mother managed a children's section of a bookstore for oh, wow. about 15 years. And she did her best to minimize things like movie novelizations and TV show companion things. But and you, you know, disowned it, her. It, it did have its section. Yes, yeah. I, I've since explained the error of her ways to <laughs> Look, anything that gets a child to read is good. No, no, that's true. And she would agree with you on that. And she, you know, she said any anyone who picks up a book, even if it's like something they're familiar with through TV, that's a win in her book. It's just funny that she had a particular, like, she intentionally avoided movie novelizations, and she was probably, like, staying up late at night worried that her son would someday dabble in movie novelization (laughs) podcasting, and her worst nightmare came true. Hey, if that's the first thing that makes me the black sheep of the family, then I'd be real surprised. If if he reads a movie novelization, I I won't be happy about it, but at least it won't be recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, just to really put you on the spot, we all enjoy the film Clueless, and I think that was true before we did the last episode. So, However, you're the one who more or less brought this to us as like, this is one of the novelizations we'd like to read, and I forced you into doing the spinoffs. I was like, you know, there's more books, let's, let's do a duology. It, as a fan of Clueless, if you're tasked with sequelizing this in any capacity. It can be like a movie, it could be a book, whatever. What story is there to tell at all? What judge do you put on these characters to, you know, where does, what station does the train go to next? Um, wow, that's a great question. I don't know that there it's is an answer. really good question. I feel like there, it's, I love the movie a lot. And I think that it's not a world that I am like desperate to return to 20 times for 20 different adventures. <laughs> like, it just doesn't have, I don't have that relationship to it. Uh, so the answer is, I would not write any sequel to it. <laughs> you would turn down the work. <laughs> yeah, I would say, no, thank you. Find someone else. Hannah and Johnny, same question, essentially. Because for me, like, I, I'm reading these these books, and I'm I, which I read all but Johnny's, and I, I'm like... I don't like these. I don't like the direction they're going in. However, that doesn't mean I don't think it could be done. What do you guys think? Or is this something that just has to slam closed at the end of Clueless? Uh, Hannah, why don't you begin? Sure. Thank you. I would say certainly there are the continuing adventures of high school students, as proven by television shows from the past to forever, you know? Mm-hmm. I think there are probably more adventures with Cher doing matchmaking, but from a slightly more mature perspective. I would love to see her pursue her philanthropic concepts. You know, that would be a a direction you might take her. Um, 
And then eventually, I think, wh- what does Cher do for college? What does it mean for her friend group to go to college? If I was making a movie sequel, I would fast forward a couple of years and be like, we're splitting up to go to college. Oh, no. What is it? How do I? How am I still myself in a new location without my support structures? Um, something like that. Yeah. It's, it's- but for 20 books, I, I couldn't come up with 20, I don't think. You know? Uh, so I guess it, uh, if, uh, if you remember, I think in our mainline Clueless episode, I mentioned that, uh, in theory, I love these characters. I love, uh, the, the sort of world that the movie takes place in. And why shouldn't there be a series of Clueless books? Uh, we have like Sweet Valley High. I mean, we're, we're scoffing at 20 books for Clueless. I think Sweet Valley High is maybe in the you know, close to a thousand. I mean, there's lots of those. They're, 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 they just keep going and going and going. Uh, so I think I'm in the minority here in being the one person here who loved this book. Oh I my thought God. It was fantastic. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought that oh, this love. was way better than our actual clueless novelization that we read. Now, the content of that novelization, the, uh, the, lines that were lifted from the movie far superior uh shares furiously fit workout could not fill 90 minutes i promise you however as a breezy sort of return to the characters we've just talked about like you know uh, uh kids you know reading something familiar and at least they're reading uh this is kind of charming occasionally sort of funny like there, there, there's a few one-liners in there where it's like hey that could have been in the movie that's not bad and uh yeah it was kind of fun to return to this world and its characters. I love this. I love that I was like, we all agree these are a disaster. How would you fix it? And Johnny's like, I don't, I don't agree with your both premise. both of mine are disasters. No, I like the second one. Hannah, you and I read the same two books. Yeah. And I agree. I think that I accidentally gave myself the best book, which I couldn't have known was going to happen. Wait, um, and the one you didn't, the one you did not like is Cher Negotiates New York. I read Share Negotiates New York, which I thought wasn't so great. I read okay. uh, An American Betty in Paris, which I thought was not so great. And I read mm-hmm. the one that I signed myself, uh, which I thought was pretty good. Pretty good. Well, Achieving personal perfection. Achieving uh, personal perfection. I, I, I like that. Say dress. We're all holding our book covers up and stuff. Hannah, you were talking about the appeal of like a a young person going into a bookstore and seeing so many of these lined up. And and I Mm -hmm. have to say that the aesthetic of the tertiary tome, I mean, the reason we're here, just to to let Sam in on it, is because one time we read the spinoff books for The Sixth Sense, and they were the best things we'd ever read. They were incredible. They were really stinking good. (laughs) They were really, really good. It was like three sequels about how the kid had to keep solving crimes, but without Bruce Willis, because he was gone. Oh, my Uh, God. Really terrific and definitively written for young adults. Like they were like using like very limited vocab and they were in giant print and yet taking these like amazing uh, plot, you know, turns and, and things like that. So that's why I have this eternal curiosity now about like what's going on in the spinoff books from movies. And I have to say, is anytime I see these, whether it be this franchise or, or, or something else, the convention of just like a still from the movie that we didn't see like something that definitely came from the set with a new title over it and some colorful like almost like powerpoint-esque 
effects, it always gets me. Really good looking pieces of physical media, in my opinion. <laughs> they match the tone of the movie that you might want. They're consistent with each other, but playful. And if you put them next to each other on a shelf, they like all line up, oh, yeah. which looks nice. It's all about the shelf if, for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 100. I totally agree. Yeah. And um, we should call attention to uh, I seem to be the only one with the television cast on his book. Uh, no, no. I, so I, er- oh, everyone book, else yeah. has a uh, has a movie, has, has uh, Alicia Silverstone. So maybe those were indeed 1995 uh, publications mm. there. Oh, yeah. yeah. What I find interesting about the physical media of the book itself is that they don't have order numbers on the spines Mm -hmm. there's no like this is the first book this is the second book this is the third book implying that you would read them in order um not to jump ahead of myself but when i was reading an american betty in paris which is the second of these yep right it refers to the first one a lot it does and if i didn't if i didn't if i just went to the bookstore as a young person and my mom was like we're going to paris next summer why don't you read this paris book where (laughs) Cher goes to paris and i was like okay Without the context of the first one, I would have, I would have been frustrating. The first no, one being be like the movie? Know. No, the first, no, the one, first being one being Cher negotiates, Cher negotiates New York. New York. Oh, oh, okay. In the Paris and book, be- she's constantly like, when I went to New York. Yeah. Oh, in a way that I, as a, as a reader, was like, I clearly missed an adventure, and I found that a little frustrating. Hmm. So I'm a little bit disappointed that these books have not made it clear that I should be reading them in sequence. So that I know, yeah, and I'm fully informed. This is very surprising to hear because one observation I made about my book was it seems very standalone and also kind of like stuck right in the the you know middle of the timeline of the movie. Uh, uh, th- <gasps> this is yeah, she Whoa. she. She well, has the same relationship with Josh, where she's sort of like, you know, antagonistic. Whoa! Oh, yes. okay, they are, Johnny, you yeah, have to. Oh, we'll, we'll get oh, to okay, your book. Okay, okay, oh I'll save God. it. I'll this save crazy. it. Crazy. Okay. <laughs> this is crazy. This is a revelation. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the the thing, Hannah. The only thing I wanted to say about your comment on on them being uh, in a very specific order is the thing that's shocking about that is that you know uh, an American. Betty in Paris is a Reisfeld, and mm-hmm. Cher negotiates New York as a baker, and it's yeah. like the when we you, you think know, you'd only refer to your own book. Well, usually when we see that sort of forced continuity, it's because the guy writing the Jurassic Park three spinoff books wrote the Jurassic Park three novelization, and so he's obsessed with being like, I remembered my experience from that other really good book. Um, it's very strange. They these all have like deference to each other, uh, even across author. Okay, let's get into this in publication order. Sam, you are up first. How do you feel about yeah. it? Oh, I feel great. I'd be honored to kick us off. Fantastic. So this first book, of course, Share Negotiates New York by Jennifer Jennifer Baker. Baker, the Jennifer Baker, her one and only contribution. <laughs> but she started it all, so there's power. That's in that. true. Um, okay, so I'm I'm gonna begin by just taking us through a synopsis of what happens. Is that is that the right? That's, that's perfect. However form? you want to okay. do it. Okay, so um, this is a book that refers only to the events of the film Clueless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you start after the film has concluded, like the story of Clueless the movie is over. We are in a kind of like stasis, a new stasis, where 
everyone is paired off and sort of like happily living their lives, you know, as couples. And you have this sort of like paradise situation going on where it's um, a party at Cher's house um, or her dad's house. Ty and Travis are still together. Dee and Murray are still together. And Cher and Josh are still together. And they're all like being, doing their classic thing. Like Dee and Murray are arguing publicly on the tennis courts and like causing a scene as they like to do. Ty and Travis are like having fun. Travis has like gone through his transformation and like now he like fits in with the popular girls. It's like everything's there. Everything's perfect. Um, Ty introduces the like sort of main problem of the book, which is that she's having a really hard time with her mom. Her mom is like really stressed, working too hard. And like, as a result of that stress, she's really like cracking down on Ty in a way that is like suffocating. Um, so they decide to have like a big night of fun. And like after the party at Cher's dad's house, they want to keep going out. So Josh suggests that they go to this kind of grunge coffee house on his college campus, which is <laughs> Classic <called>. Josh. <laughs> hey, Sam, I have a question. This is a legitimate question because yeah. I don't remember. Is yeah. Ty's mother, like, do they live in the same geographic location at this point? Or is Ty's mother elsewhere and, like, nagging her long distance? No, they, they like, live together. Just the two of them. Oh, okay. House. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, in a house that's way less fancy than the one that D and the ones that D and Cher live in. Like they, they actually mm-hmm. the book deals quite a lot with the fact that like Ty is like from a different class. Um, so so they go to this coffee shop and it's called Drink Me. And the first passage <laughs> I want to read is is a little description of Drink Me. Um, uh, let's see. We've got it's your basic rec room meets unplugged. I figure every college has one. It's in the voice of Cher, by the way. Um, a neo-hippie style Betty with a kind of nice, kind of flat voice coming through the crackly mic, low ceilings, a few bare bulbs, some red, some yellow, some burnt out, and lots of smoke. That meant lots of smokers, college smokers, the kind who had hit the streets babbling about green peace and clean air during the day, then come nightfall you'd find them huddled together in little hideaways polluting the planet, not to mention their not-yet-20-year-old lungs. So it's that kind of joint. <laughs> Um, and they order their, like, cappuccinos or whatever. Um, and then this interesting character gets introduced, who is this, like, dark-haired college girl named Simone. And she sings a song <laughs> called Existential Mental, <laughs> which is uh, inspired by her reading of Nietzsche. Um, and everyone, <laughs> everyone in the coffee shop closes their eyes to listen. And there was a moment that I actually kind of liked, uh, a moment of like interiority for Cher where everyone around her is like listening really intently to Simone's song and Cher like tries to imagine her friend group in this situation in college. Like she tries to be like, what's, what are mm-hmm. we going to be like when we're in college? Um, and she says, I tried to imagine our high school crowd in a situation like this. My dear sweet capital F friend, Christian he might pretend to shut his baby blues, but he'd keep one open just a little to check out the cute boys. That's the way he went. Uh, it was impossible to picture any of our crowd submitting to this existential shut-eye thing. Not us. We always had to stay on top of things. In our world, it was all, you snooze, you lose. One slip-up and your boyfriend would get snatched up. So there's this kind of, like, 
she begins to realize that she's living in just like a very different world than Josh is living in. And I think that there are like throughout this book are a lot of interesting moments where like Simone and Josh like have conversations kind of like on one level. And I think that Cher is like immediately um, jealous of any attention that Josh gets from this college girl, Simone. And I think that she's like interpreting the interactions correctly But it's just this funny thing where, like, Simone speaks in the language of, like, hey, Josh, do you want to hit up this lecture later? Like, it sounds like they're going to cover a really interesting topic. And, like, Cher hears, like, this girl is, like, hitting on my man. Like, it's very, like, I don't know. It's the funny, like, the the way that things get translated is interesting. I mean, if somebody somebody was, like, you know, saying, do you want to go to this lecture later? I hear there's going to be a really interesting topic. I'd be like... (laughs) A, a truly interested person might know what it is. Yes. <laughs> I, I do want to say just the the Christian thing. Like, there's that that little thing in the passage you read where they where she stops off to be like, my good friend Christian. I couldn't imagine him here. These books are very dead set on like, you, Christian is a good friend. We have decided that he is a good friend that she likes and he supports her well, which I don't really think is supported by the performance in the movie. No. I think he's a good friend. He He's a fine friend. He comes around by the end of the movie. But I, I think I said this in our first podcast about this. I just I think that he is he doesn't treat Cher very well in the first yeah, half. Yeah, he's like a little mean. Yeah. Well, as in I think many high school gay boys in <laughs> nineteen ninety might be a little bit weird until we all are like, Oh, you're gay, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I, I don't blame him for being a little bit unfair to share. And then once it's out in the open and everybody's cool with it, he's like a much better friend and like more available person to her. I wanna stand up for Christian. <laughs> I thought clueless existed. <laughs> this is I'm being serious. I thought the movie Clueless existed in in like a utopian mindset where like obviously it is it is fraught it is sort of a risk to be like openly gay in the 90s however it felt like the tone of the movie was no it's not everything's cool here and i i didn't feel like his his struggle in the movie was i have that i'm i'm working through that it it, it, i feel like it's her struggle that she doesn't know yeah, well, I, I he's mean, obviously I, doesn't just like say to her, "Share, I'm gay." <laughs> like, <laughs> sure, but yeah, it is like Beverly Hills. They're on the cutting edge of everything, and yes, she is a little uh, slow to the uptake on on uh, the the Christian thing. But uh, everyone is very accepting once that happens. There, there's really very little mean meanness in the movie uh uh the the the, uh, the elton uh guy you know but but again the we're just adapting uh, adopting that from uh, jane austen at this point like you y- you need to have the guy to kick her out of the car true yeah sorry to interrupt you sam i just i got no, thoughts no. on christian i think christian is an interesting thing to talk about and i think that ultimately you're right hannah like he's a victim of whatever the hetero patriarchy <laughs> um, but uh the straight yeah, guys, and he, the hetero he gets referenced a lot in this book, though. Every time that they, like, are talking about fashion, they're always like, and Christian would say that, you know, this top is so in. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's invoked a ton in the abstract. Oh, Christian would love this. Oh, Christian helps me, yes. blah, blah, blah. He's in her head a lot. Yeah. But these yeah. books don't really know what to do with the boy characters at all. <laughs> yeah. mm. 
both Josh and Christian are often like, well, they're out of town. <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> In so- my books anyway. It sounds like Sam's book is really Josh heavy and will stay that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you're right. It's he's, he gets left in the dust. Um, so yeah, okay. We get to this moment where Ty is like, I have to go back to New York. My mom is too much for me to handle. She's being a nightmare. I need to go stay with my aunt and uncle in Brooklyn. And so she is like, I gotta, I gotta leave. Um, Cher is really upset and is like, no, you belong in LA. Look how far you've come since you moved here. Like you're one of us. And Ty is like, I have to do it. So Cher gives Ty her very first cellular as a going away present so they can keep in touch. And Cher is like, I already arranged to like put the bill on my plastic. So like we can call each other all the time. And then um, Ty leaves. Uh, The aftermath of her leaving is mostly about Simone flirting with Josh and Cher feeling threatened by that. Um, There's a fun part uh, where she like sort of clocks that, that Simone is a Betty, even though like Simone doesn't dress the way that like the Beverly Hills high school girls dress. Um, Cher says, I was speechless as she flirted up a storm with him, him being Josh. I checked out her hopeless outfit. 501s ripped in just the right place below the knee. The right place, that is, if you're living in 1991. The Birkenstocks were from the same century. And her thrift shop halter left plenty of space to show off her sun-soaked waist and pierced belly button. Why did she have to be so cute? And I like that because it's like a fun, like, she's like being judgmental of the outfit, but like, she knows a Betty when she sees one, you know? (laughs) Um, And uh, this is when Simone invites Josh to the lecture. The title of the le- it's about epistemology, Andrew, since you wanted to know the subject. I did want to know. Thank you. Yeah. I would believe ti- you were interested, because you know. <laughs> <laughs> the title of the lecture is The Thought Process. Can we really know what we're thinking? Um, so anyway, that happens. Then through their phone calls with Ty, Cher and Dee start to suspect that Ty is falling back into her old, her old unhealthy habits, and specifically that she's like smoking a lot of weed. Which, this is a through line from the movie that Sharon D, like, do not approve of smoking weed as a recreational activity. They draw a hard line on that. Um, I guess you have yeah. to, right? For the, the sake of your, your audience. Like, if this is being bought by, like, you know, you know 12-year-old girls, uh, I, I guess you, you can't be too cool with it. Uh, it. It would never make it to publication, right? I think that's right in the case of these like spin-off books, but I I also think there is an interesting like cultural thing about being a forward-thinking Beverly Hills Beverly Hills girl. It's like you can indulge in like a cocktail every now and then, but like smoking weed is not what ambitious young women do in their free time. You know <laughs> <Yes>. what I mean? <laughs> it's certainly a big thing in the movie. You're you're right yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. because it's the whole Travis thing and uh, and and, and it's you know not she comes clean a- living. Yes, and it's she comes clean. around to Travis, but only after he enters AA at age sixteen because he smokes a little weed. <laughs> and, you know that bad, that bad. Yeah. Um, I can't even. Imagine. Yeah, so- I'm sure we talked about this on the last episode, but I can't even imagine a teenage boy walking into an AA meeting and being like. Having all these like hardened alcoholics around and being like, I I can't stop smoking weed. They would tear him apart. <laughs> um, it's so true. But yeah, they really they they don't have time for that. Um, 
they decide, Sharon and Dee decide that they need to go intervene. So they book plane tickets to New York. They do this very quickly. They don't tell anybody. They don't tell their parents. They just get on the plane and they head for the city. Um, Cher, Cher's dad quickly finds out that Cher has left without asking for permission. Um, but he's a native New Yorker. So Cher uses her negotiation skills on the phone with her dad to say, dad, you always talk about how much you miss New York and I'm going to get you your favorite black and white cookies from Three Roses Bakery in the Bronx. And that is enough to sway him. And he's like, well, if you'll get me my favorite black and white cookies, then I'll let this slide. Um, So that's kind of a side quest. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, they get there and um, their first impressions of New York... Uh, they're on the bus, and we get, uh, you know, litter, it's bleak, it's dirty, everything is black, brown, and gray. <laughs> uh, we get Not wrong, necessarily. No, it's true, especially record, the drive one, from the airport. For the record, book one, Josh left behind. He's it, gone, yeah. He, the, these books have, have no patience for this man, and will not <laughs> let him into a story, and this first one is just like, they go somewhere else. So Josh isn't there. And we'll see many iterations of how they get out of having him in stories. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) He's not with them. Um, Cher sees cans and bottles and every hue imaginable and bigger things like car parts, bedroom sets, and bowling balls. Um, So she's struck by how dirty it is. Um, And, you know, through just just to say, like, through the whole thing, there's this interesting, like, as as you would expect, there's this constant comparison between, like, L.A. and New York, the ways in which they are the same and different. And I I do think it's interesting to note that, like, I don't know, like, there is this there's this attitude towards New York that it's like um, your wealth kind of can't, like, protect you from, like, the gritty hard parts of New York, like. In New York, you've got to take the subway, even if you're Sharon D. Like, you've got to call a taxi. Like, you, it's just, like, a less comfortable, less easy city to navigate than L.A. And that becomes, like, a big part of, like, their experience of it. Um, anyway, so she also t- talks about how the Barney to Baldwin ratio is way off on their bus. <laughs> there are a lot more Barneys than Baldwin. <laughs> um, but then they get to their hotel. They meet this model named Griffin in the lobby. He's really hot, and he immediately takes an interest in Cher, especially because she mentions that she's from L.A. And he's like, oh, L.A. How exotic. Yeah. (laughs) And so, um, anyway, Griffin becomes important later. They take the subway to Brooklyn. Um, on the way, they there's a very entertaining part that I wanted to read where they meet some strangers on the subway and they're like really like tough New Yorkers with tattoos and like, you know, they're really intimidating. Um, but then they strike up a conversation with this guy to ask him if they're going the right way to get to Sheep's Head Bay. And uh, Cher mentions that she's from L.A. and this tattooed man is like, L.A., I got a cousin moved out there. Bobby Zuka. You don't know him? Bobby Z? <laughs> like, Bobby. <laughs> like they meet an Italian man and he just immediately asked, you know, you don't know Bobby? I'm um, desperate for any connection. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to Ty's place in Sheepshead Bay. Ty tells him that she's really happy to be back in New York, um, that she likes being free from her mom and she can do whatever she wants. And when they find her at her apartment, she's like, 
taken a nap in the middle of the day, which is supposed to like give us a window into her lifestyle. You know, she does whatever Sounds she wants, great. whenever she wants. And then uh, Ty is like, oh, well, this is so nice that you guys are here. I'm about to go meet up with my posse in the village. And obviously the village is represented as this like really kind of like intense place where like everyone's skateboarding and like smoking weed and it's really sort of intimidating. Um, and they meet uh, all of Ty's New York friends, uh, including this guy named Wilson III, who calls Cher a way fat dope girl. And there's a kind of fun passage where she gets confused about all the lingo that he's using because she only speaks the language of LA and like he uses New York slang. Um, so he has to translate for her because she takes offense. She's like, fat, who are you calling fat? And he's like, no, 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 fat with a PH. Um, so then they do that. They meet Wilson III and all these other people. Uh, they go to Saks Fifth Avenue to this fashion show that Griffin, the supermodel, invited them to. Remember Griffin from the hotel? They never really um, specify how much older Griffin is. It really feels like he's older. Yeah, I think he is. And he's a real sleazeball. Nothing he's good a piece about of work. <laughs> yeah, a real piece of work. <sighs> and Griffin introduces Cher to his agent. And the agent like puts all these ideas in Cher's head about how she needs to change the way she looks to be a model. And she's like oh my god like everything about me is wrong like i have all these physical flaws i didn't even know about like this agent told me i need to like have a smaller nose and like be taller and that like really gets in her head but griffin is really dreamy and he kisses her like in front of everybody at this fashion show at Saks Fifth avenue and like that is irresistible to share so she just like really is into griffin and the whole time he keeps she keeps calling um, Josh is cellular and he's not answering so that pushes her into Griffin's arms because oh my she imagines that Josh is kissing um, Simone just because he's not picking his phone up she's pretty insecure about their relationship We like this carries throughout the book this, yeah. this, she, okay one of the only two things I have bookmarked in this book is you're talking about the, <laughs> the sequence where uh, the that other woman is like, oh, you have all these physical flaws, and she goes to Griffin, and Griffin's like, no, you're beautiful. Here's what Griffin says. Uh, so so um, Cher says, she said I was too short and my eyebrows were wrong and that my nose, I shook my head. In a school where nose jobs are the number one topic for what I did on my Christmas vacation, I had always been sort of proud of my awe naturel. Uh, and then Griffin says, Oh, a nip here, a tuck there, no biggie. It takes most of us a lot more than that. He's not like, you're beautiful as you are. He's like, no. I know doctors. <laughs> that is not what he says at all. He says, he says we'll get you there. Yeah, um. yeah exactly. <laughs> the thing about this book and, and a couple of the others is like, it just feels because I... I it has a different moral compass than I do as a reader. It feels at many points like it's going in a different direction than it does. Like, it feels to me for a lot of the book like um, Ty is sort of like teaching Cher to let her go. And that like Ty exists well in this like ecosystem that's better suited to her. And also like the, the Griffin thing... Uh, Cher is just like he kissed me it's fine kisses can mean a million different things and I'm like this is not good I'm like very against her for a lot of the book 
I agree. I thought the exact same thing. And and when we get to the end, which we'll, we'll get there soon, I, there's not too much more to say about I, the plot, I don't mean really, to rush but... you. I just have so many thoughts about share negotiating New York. <laughs> no, I don't want to take too much time. But but yes, I agree completely. I thought that the, the moral of the book was going to be that Ty belongs in New York City and that she doesn't need to come back. Like, she mm-hmm. seems actually like she's living a really good life. Her friends are cool. And, like, Cher does learn that Ty's friends are cool. Like, that's part of it. That, like, they're all, like, good-hearted people, despite the fact that they have, like, blue mohawks and ripped jeans. But but still, Ty comes back with them. Not to spoil the ending, but I, I was confused by that, too. Yeah. Um, anyway, so after this fashion show with the kiss, the Griffin Cher kiss, um, D and Ty like leave to go home or whatever, and uh, Cher decides to keep going out. And Griffin says, "Let's go to a poetry slam <laughs> at the New Rican Poets Cafe." So they go to this poetry slam, which I thought was a wild turn of events. I did not see that coming. <laughs> um, <laughs> but all these supermodels hang out at the poetry slam, and Cher comes up with a slam poem on the spot because someone there says, Cher, why don't you go up and, you know, tell us a poem? And I want to read it to you. Because hmm. it is really... <laughs> it's really something. Okay. She flashes her, bit, her brightest Colgate and she begins. This is what she says. It's like this fashion thing. It always makes my heart ring. One ring two rings, three rings, whatever. It's a fashion thing, of thee I sing. It just takes style and a killer smile. No room for Monet, everyone's a bete. Perfect tens in the camera lens. Got a problem? It's okay. Gone tomorrow, what's here today? Add a little here, a little less there. Don't forget to recolor your hair. Keep the freckle, lose the teeth. Make an appointment for early next week. So like, maybe this sounds kind of lame, but I think I'll kind of stay the same. I kind of like me the way I am. But go ahead. You can take my picture if you want to. Okay, so that didn't rhyme. It's the sentiment that's fine. <laughs> and that's Cher's you know, extemporaneous poem. I have some issues with the meter, but, you know, just off the cuff, that's pretty good. <laughs> Better than I can do, yeah. Um, and also, you know, this is kind of the moment where she realizes that she has to accept herself the way she is. And then that is solidified when she's leaving the poet's thing and she she overhears griffin say to a friend you know i met this girl she's from la and her dad is like this really rich hollywood producer and i think like this could be a big opportunity for me and that's when Cher is like oh my god griffin's trying to use me for his own personal gain and i once again have been Mm -hmm. totally clueless and that's the moment that she understands griffin's motives so then she leaves she realizes it's 4 a.m Luckily, she runs into Ty's friend, Wilson III, and he's super helpful, and he gets her back to her hotel room safely. And then the next day, Cher finally calls, sorry, Josh finally calls Cher back, and they hash it all out, and Cher admits that she kissed Griffin, and she's like, but it was terrible. It turns out he was an asshole. And Josh is like, okay, I'll forgive you. And also, I'm not interested in Simone, so you can stop freaking out about that. And Cher's like, fine. And then Ty truly out of nowhere is like guys you're right after all i should be back in la i don't want to be here anymore and by the end of the week solve her relationship with her mother at all or she's just like it's fine i'll go back to it she what she says is literally she has like one line where she says 
I actually really miss my mom, and I think we can work out our differences. <laughs> okay. And Good that's really it. That's it. And then she moves back to LA by the end of the week, and they party all summer, <laughs> and they're all back where they belong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked by this poetry slam situation, because from your description, I thought that it would be like, well, Cher has encountered a boy who's like more in line with her interest and like fashion sense and lifestyle, and she has to decide like, do I love Josh more than I love the lifestyle and the guy who represents it? But no, not at all. No, I think it's in fact just really sloppy storytelling because I think that that is that's the obvious way to go. But yeah, you get like you've been introduced to this smoky coffee shop kind of atmosphere where Josh and Simone hang out, and then you and but then you get you go back to that same kind of space in New York City and it's like Griffin <laughs> Griffin also exists in that kind of space and it's just it really muddies the waters of like <laughs> what's going on here we we get our first in a a series of uh explanations for why there was even a conflict with um Josh and they're always stupid so <laughs> in every book it seems all three i read there's some problem she thinks is going on with Josh, and then it turns out it's nothing at all. And in this one, she, she's not picking up the phone for days and days on her trip to New York. And sh she goes, where were you? I couldn't reach you. And he goes, if you really must know, I was at a big party. And then at another one. And then at a poetry slam. That's it. Josh. Deal with it. Just deal with it, reader. <laughs> and then he's in the shower at one point. Yeah, it's always, the excuses are dumb. <laughs> and am I, I mean, terrific, incredible uh, summary, Sam. I, am I mixing this up with another book, or is there a part where Griffin gets extremely, almost dangerously horny? Yeah, that definitely happens. And he says things to share while they're like, they're in a cab together headed to the poetry slam. And he's like, I didn't write it down, but he says like, Oh, Cher, I love it when you, like, press your body up against me. Like, he says really, yeah. like, predatory things to her. And she's a high school girl. He's, like, basically sexually, f like, fantasizing out loud. Being like, we're doing it right now. It's so fun. And she's like, we're not. We're definitely not. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, he's bad news. Book one. I think Whoa. Cher getting exploited by an older man is going to be an ongoing theme. So <laughs> stay tuned, kids. <laughs> Sam Myers, you are at a poetry slam with a cute boy. He wants you to go up and perform, but you don't have anything prepared. What you do have with you is a copy of Cher Negotiates New York by Jennifer Baker. Knowing what you know... Would you read the entire book front to back out loud <laughs> to the people at the Poetry Slam? I honestly think that might be kind of a hit. Like, I think that, like, Simone's <laughs> crowd would love that. They'd be like, oh, it'd be like a kind of avant-garde sort of um, experiment with duration, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes, the answer is yes. I think cool. I would be really popular. What, in a larger sense, what do you think of the book? I mean, I just, I just don't, I did not think that it was very, very good, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there were parts of it that made me laugh. And like, I think that it is, it is kind of like a fun adventure. Like I was glad that they go on a journey. Like I actually was kind of relieved that it wasn't just a, uh, another ep sort of episode set 
at Beverly Hills High or wherever they go to school. Like, mm-hmm. I was glad that they, like, got on a plane and, like, went somewhere and, like, got into, like, crazy hijinks. So I liked that part of it. Well, if you like getting on a plane and going somewhere. <laughs> yeah, the floor is yours. An American Betty in Paris. Woo! Which I just want to start by saying that my book was previously owned by, by April Randy Stang. Reisfeld. April Strang, Stang, who also writes, thank you for your cooperation, cooperation, sincerely yours, April. But then in the back of the book says, warning, touch, and die. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see it. But she seems like a cool chick. She must have liked this book to get to the end and be like, touch or die. So anyway, An American Betty in Paris takes place after the movie. Josh is studying abroad in Paris for the summer. Josh, gone, leaving- right away, get him out. Get him out, get him out. He's not, yeah. (laughs) Leaving Cher at home to hang out with her friends. But she really misses him, like, a lot. And they're, like, writing emails back and forth. And she's sending him cookies. And it's all very cutesy-cutesy. And then his emails kind of start to taper off. And she's like, what's going on with Josh? And she, like, convinces herself that he's just, like, he's upset. So he doesn't want to put it on her. So that, like, that's why he's not emailing. But it clearly is affecting his life and her life. And she's very upset about it. So eventually her friends are like, what's going on with Josh? And she's like, I miss him a lot. And they're like, you should go see him. Maybe it's spring break or something. It's not the summer. I don't know. Because she has, she like is in school for the first third of the book and has to like convince Mr. Hallgeist and Miss Geist Hall. <laughs> because they've been, they're married, but they've done their names that way, which is adorable. Um... Has to convince them that, like, instead of writing some, like, debate paper on what she's supposed to do, she's going to write her paper on, like, the culture of Paris. <laughs> so they must be in school. I don't know what Josh is doing over there, then. He is studying. Yeah, he's, like, doing some sort of study abroad thing. Yeah. Anyway, so they have learned their lesson from going to New York and convinced their parents that it's important that they go to Paris. At which point, Cher's dad is like, oh, you know, you actually have an aunt and uncle and cousin who's exactly your age who live in Paris. <laughs> and you'll stay with them, and then that'll be fine. You can go. And, like, Dee convinces her mom, and Ty convinces her mom, and, like, Cher does some, like, airplane mileage things to pay for Cher's ticket. Or, sorry, for Ty's ticket. Oh, my God. <laughs> they go to Paris. Come on, Hannah, these books are so memorable. And not I just I shouldn't uh I they're not right. Well anyway, they do this American Betty goes to Paris. Um and on the plane, because Ty is on airline miles, she's like in coach and she meets a bunch of like student tr- backpackers and makes friends with them and Sharon Dee are like, ew. Fine, <laughs> that's Ty, that's our Ty, right? When they get to Paris, they're picked up by Cher's family, who's like they're all nice. And the cousin, Danny, is like a total baddie. She's really cute and very smart. And she has a boyfriend who's like a Baldwin, but a jerk. And a group of friends. And we one of her friends still is... call him a Baldwin, assuming it originated with the family. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I just want to clarify mm-hmm. that he is hot, but not nice. <laughs> but within Danny's friend group is this guy, Jean-Michel, who's like her best boyfriend. And Cher very quickly realizes, like, he likes her. And he would be better for her than her current boyfriend, whose name is, like... Do you remember, Andrew? Do you have this? Oh, I have no idea. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't make a note. But he's like a jerk. He's a gross jerk. And he's like flirting with other girls all the time. And it's like a real problem. There's a lot of funny stuff in the book where Cher will say to Danny, like, oh, your boyfriend's a Baldwin. And Danny will go, oh, a Baldwin? We call them Belmondos here. Like, they have the same terminology <laughs> but French, which is cute. Yeah. So D is like, I don't know. They're ha- in a little bit of a tiff. Claude. Claude yeah, is her shitty sucks. boyfriend. He's no good. Jean-Michel is much better. <laughs> yeah. But Dee and Cher are in kind of like a tiff because Dee thinks that Cher is too much in other people's business. Or is that the next book? <laughs> no, the, the too much in other people's business thing is the next book. Oh my God, I'm sorry, I take it back. <laughs> but basically, like, Dee wants to go shopping, so they all do some shopping. And Ty wants to hang out with her friends from the airplane, so they do that one day. And finally, Cher is like, I have to go find Josh. I really miss him. The whole point is I have to go fight Josh. And so she keeps going back to his school, but he's not there. Like either he's like, he just left or then he goes on like a two day trip. It's like a whole shenanigan. And in the meantime, she is able to like have adventures with her cousin, which mostly involves setting her up with the right boy and breaking up with Claude. Meanwhile, Dee is like hanging out with a different French boy and Cher is like, D, what about Murray? And she's like, I'm just having fun. I'm just having fun with a friend. I'm not doing anything. Chill out, girl. Um, so that adds some tension. Ty loses her passport and they have to deal with that. There is a day where Ty and D go to Versailles <laughs> and Cher's like, I'm going to go wait for Josh, even though I don't know where he is. She's missing out on a lot of really cool stuff. The Josh stuff. thing is so frustrating. She keeps going back to his school and being like, uh, d- yeah. to like the male guy. She's like, did you see Josh today? It come through the doors of the dorm. And he's like, yeah, he was just here. And she's like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. I'll come back. And yeah. then he's not there. And then she's like, pretend he has a package. I don't know if you're getting that, yeah. but it's so frustrating. Was, yeah. They, it is frustrating because also Cher has decided it has to be a surprise. She's like built it up in her head that like she's going to just be there and he'll be so happy to see her. And they'll like run into each other's arms, which means that she like can't call ahead and be like, I'm on my way. Stay put. <laughs> yeah. So he's just, she's just missing you, him constantly. Just as a sidebar on that. Um, mm-hmm. Have you, have you guys had people in your life that are like obsessed with that sort of interaction? I I was once in a relationship where the, they were, like, very obsessed with, like, we have to surprise family, and we have to, like, have big moments mm. like that, which was logistically fraught. Yeah, I, I think a nice surprise is good. My college boyfriend surprised me at home uh, during the summer, and I already was not into him anymore, <laughs> and I had to be like, Oh, hey. It was terrible. Yeah, like you came home from school and he was just waiting for you in your house? No, it was like I came home from school and then like maybe four weeks later, like middle of the summer, there was like a knock on the door and my mom was like, oh, you should go see who it is. And it was my boyfriend who I was like planning to break up with. Wow. Oh, yikes. And he flipped your mom. Yeah. Wow. My mom liked him. Wow. Mm. Really tough. So it's a risky, it's a risky thing what Cher is trying to do here. And indeed, when she finally finds him, he is in the arms of another woman. Oh my God. (laughs) And Cher, instead of going up to talk to him or do anything, just storms off. 
and is like, I guess he doesn't love me. I guess he's been cheating on me the whole summer. What a terrible time. Which sucks. Am I missing anything important I, in Paris? I like, they just the have only, a bunch of, like, silly shenanigans. You're, you're <laughs> sort of correctly mixing this up with the next book, because the next book has such a more <laughs> compelling internal through line. The only thing we get character-wise in this book is that uh, Cher is, is, has a, a philosophy about how to keep a boyfriend interested that is sort of disproved. So, on 53... Let's see. It says, um, I wasn't the only recipient of word from home. Murray, the possessive, had sent an, an apologetic fax to D, detailing the shame spiral he'd been on since their last fight. Isn't he sweet? D soared into the higher digits on the musho meter. He felt so bad about our last night together, he can't stop thinking of me. He's begging me to call him and tell him he's forgiven. You're not going to, are you? I asked, alarmed. It's always a good idea to keep boyfriends off balance, especially long-term boyfriends, who might start taking you for granted. It helps to remind them that you've got better things to do than pine for them, which she convinces Dee of, and then at some point in this book, she flips over to, like, maybe showing genuine emotion to people you care about is good. There's also a subplot where she, in pack, like, looking for a pack, I don't know, she finds a picture of her mom with a man who is not her dad. Uh-huh. And they're, like, clearly romantically involved with each other. And it, like, sends Cher on a total spiral. And it's, like, sitting in the back of her head the whole time. So when she sees Josh with another woman, she's like, love isn't forever. Sometimes your first love isn't your only love. And love ends. It ended for my mom. And it has now ended for me. Back in L.A. <laughs> so she leaves Paris a little sad. But she has she set up her cousin see Josh in successfully. Paris. Yes, she does. No, I mean, no, no. I'm saying, like, I'm agreeing with you. The thing you... She sees him, but they never connect, which is bonkers. They, no. And he doesn't know she's there at all. It's like she see, he sees her from a distance at all. She sees him and is like, uh, fuck this. And he has no idea she was ever there. They never interact in Paris? That is wild. No. No. Mm-mm. It is wild. I agree. <laughs> I agree. But she successfully sets up her cousin with Jean-Michel and they're happy now. And she's like, and I've learned that like, you know, I have I have people everywhere. You know, I have my cousin who I love and that was worthwhile. Like that was a worthwhile thing, even though the rest of the trip was not fun for me. They get back to L.A. and Cher <laughs> gives Josh the coldest shoulder of all time. Just like stops talking to him completely and he's calling her all the time he's emailing her and he's like what's going on where are you i miss you we haven't talked i've been so busy at school but i have time now and she's just like zero interaction whatsoever to the point that josh calls d and is like help me what is going on with her she won't talk to me and d calls sharon is like maybe you should explain it to him (laughs) Like, maybe you should talk to him a little. And Cher's like, I won't do it. But what Cher does agree to do is go to a grunge show with Ty and Travis. She's like, that'd be fun, I guess. Uh, I want to say it's the Cranberries. Like, it's like a, a name. No, it is the Cranberries because she's like, when they play zombie, you're going to lose your mind. Yeah, and she was like, I don't like any of their other music. And they're like, you will, you will. Just, like, come and, like, 
you know, shrug off your worries and have a good time. So she does. And at the Cranberries concert, she essentially gets like trampled by a mosh pit. (laughs) (laughs) And is saved from being totally killed by Josh, who, of course, is home now. He's and of course, at this concert. And in the medical tent, he's like, "You just talk to me. Tell me what's happening with you. And she basically is like, don't you know? Don't you know what's wrong with me? And he's like, I literally don't. Here's one passage that I will read. Cher says, well, maybe you could think a little harder, Josh. What possible reason could you have given me for breaking up with you? None that I know of. And then he looked at me. The hurt in his eyes was palpable. Maybe he should switch his major to drama. He certainly had the aptitude for it. (laughs) You wouldn't believe some of the things I've been thinking. That you met some Armani'd Romeo and he swept you off in his roles? Or that you're just too young for this kind of commitment? That you're just fickle? (laughs) Too young? Fickle? Not even. If anyone's fickle, it's you, not me, I shot back. I know you found someone to replace me, so don't even try to lie about it. Etc. And basically, he's like, what are you talking about, you crazy girl? And she explains she saw him with another girl. And he's like, oh, that girl, that total hottie who was hanging all over me? She's just a friend who was failing out of school and I was comforting her. No big deal. And she was like, oh, that is no big deal. I'm sorry. And they make up and they are fine. And she's like... Sometimes love is real. How about I, I, it? I just find, I mean, you you summarize that reveal terrifically, but I, I find that the language here really specifically frustrating. You know, the, the, a lot of these books, <laughs> the content of these books is like very sitcom-esque, where, you know, everything that happens is like, oh, I saw a mom kissing the neighbor uh, across the street, and then it's like, oh, no, it turns out it was a mannequin she was helping him make, and she had to make sure it could kiss in the school play, or whatever. Like, that's a lot of this stuff, and the ones that come at the end of these books are so labored, it's breathtaking. So This one was particularly frustrating because, like, share, trust your relationship. Like, a lot of what's happening in the movie Clueless is that she's like, we love each other, and that's special. So for her to be like a jealous cuckoo bird doesn't ring true to me. No, I, I agree. Or, or at least it, it, it shows zero growth. It's like, oh, she's yeah. just back to what she was in the movie. And, and it feels like all of these books kind of reset her. Um, okay, here's right after Cher has leveled the accusation. She's like, I saw you embracing a beautiful Betty. Uh, <laughs> he, he goes, uh, if only you hadn't left. If only you'd come over to me, you would have found out right away that that was just Jennifer Blakely, which is just a funny line, as if that means anything. <laughs> and literally, she immediately is like, and, and that, that would, would be, be you. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, she, she was one of the group that came over from UCLA with me. Do you remember I told you that in order to participate in this project, you had to keep your GPA above a 3.0? And if it dipped below, you'd have to leave the program and go back to L.A.? It sounded kind of familiar. I sniffled and nodded. Well, Jen had just gotten an express mail letter that she'd failed the e-com midterm, and she was out. She had to go back to L.A. What made it really devastating was that she'd fallen in love while she was there with Sven, a Swedish student at the dorm next door. Jen was brokenhearted and came running out to me. I was comforting her, Cher, trying to calm her down. You would have done the same thing for a friend. She left for L.A. the next day. This 
It's pretty condescending. It sounds like lying because it, it it's does. doing it's doing that thing that you do when you lie, where you give way too much detail. He's going, okay, remember I told you the thing about the 3.0 GPA, right? So, so she didn't. If you're below it, then you can't. And she was below is what was going on. And also, I know the next thing you're going to say is that that doesn't make any sense because her, her real school is in the U.S. So how did they tell her in France? Well, it was express mail. And that's, yeah. and so that's, and that's how it happened infuriating i also it is infuriating and i think like this book does not just think Cher is clueless it thinks she is stupid mm-hmm. <laughs> like straight up stupid uh like there's parts in the book where she's like has no concept of the french language which i think is unrealistic for Cher. doesn't know what versailles is which is unrealistic for Cher. like just like cannot she's like a the idiot girl of Paris. It's awful. And so for Josh at the end to be like, oh, you silly little dum-dum. That was my friend. You silly little girl is um, offensive to me and I don't like it. I do think Josh must be hard to write for. Like, I don't really know what you do with him or what his voice is, but I hope it's not this. I don't like this. But this series has no interest in being like they encounter other issues you might in life they're like it has to be boy related which means josh has to be out of the picture i believe that this book in particular not only is bad it pushes up against the book before it and after it in really contradictory ways so sam just to throw you the ball for a second again can you describe the whole thing that goes down on the bus in the, the, where she just, like, does a makeover for a random woman. Oh, yeah. Wait, does that happen in the Paris one, too? No, no. So oh. I, guess, I guess I basically just said it, but he, she's on a bus in the New York yeah. book, and there's a woman who is just looking a little ruffled or whatever, and Cher, like, and goes speaks- up and... Oh, yeah. Sorry, Sam, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just, it's coming back to me as you're saying it, but I'm sorry for talking over you. No, but yeah, Cher like goes up to this woman and is like, and is like, um, well, cause the woman is a Betty. And so, she, but Cher <laughs> notices that there are like some things about her that are like, that are like wrong. Like she's doing fashion wrong. I don't remember what it is. Like her, like the band on her hat is like showing when it should be hidden underneath the hat right. or something like that. And so she, it's this very minor detail. And Cher goes up to her and is like explaining what she's done wrong. And the woman just gives her like a blank stare. And then Cher realizes the woman speaks no English. So Cher <laughs> goes through this whole process of miming what's wrong with her fashion. And the woman realizes and fixes it. And then Cher is like, ah, a, a, a day's work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So some, someone in this book or the next one uh, <laughs> is like, okay, well... You're, you obviously are, like have a tendency to overstep. It might be the next book because the next book's all about overstepping. It's the next one. Yeah, they're like, you obviously have a tendency yeah. to overstep because you uh, helped that woman on the bus and she didn't even ask. You just went over and did it. And it's like, <laughs> but you categorize that, you characterized it in the first book as a wonderful thing. And in the first book, somebody goes, you're such a giving person, Cher. Remember what you did for that woman on that bus? And yeah. similarly... 154 of the Paris book. It says, uh, this is when Cher's being all weird when she's back home, like giving Josh the cold shoulder. And uh, it's it's Ty, and she says, Cher, remember when you and Dee came to New York to get me? 
I didn't call you or anything, but you sensed somehow that I needed you. And you got on a plane and came for me. Well, she took a deep breath. We're sensing that you need us now. You need a night out. You need to be with your true blues and have fun. We need you to let us help you share. Which, it's in this book, and it will be against the philosophy of the next book. Yeah, I, I mean, I can understand if uh, Cher's doing this 24-7, eventually you're like, fucking stop, actually. Right. Like, I get how eventually you might snap on that. Um, I'm surprised she doesn't do a makeover in this book at mm-hmm. all. Like, her cousin doesn't need a makeover. None of her friends need makeovers. Like, I mean, she does a little one on Jean-Michel, but he basically is like, I'm good, actually. This is not helping me, and doesn't really stick with it. Mm, Cher. Anyway, bad book. Don't like it. Uh, Don't like how it treats Cher or her friends. Think it's really mean to them. (laughs) Yes. Your GPA dropped. I am an American 3.0. Betty in Paris. Oh yes, okay. okay. I so I am an American. You Betty are an American in Paris, Betty in you. Paris. You, you, your GPA dropped below three You had to go home because you mm-hmm. got Express Mail uh, conveying that to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, that's true. That's a true thing. When you get back home, you know you're still going to school, but you have a lot more free time because all your friends are in Paris uh, because you made that your whole life. Would you use that time to read an American Betty in Paris by Randy Reisfeld, knowing what you know? No, no, I didn't like this one. I thought it was so cruel to share and really like not on her side, which is untrue to the core heart of Clueless. So I did not like that about it. I did not appreciate it. And I did not have a good time reading it. And also like, I feel like the point of a book where they go to Paris is that like you, the reader, get to learn a little bit about like the Paris, the museums, the arrondissements or whatever. And this book's not very interested in doing any of that. So it's like those Eversy where she's like, wow, this beautiful building was built in 1200. Like none of it. So no, I would not. I would not read it nor recommend it to others. It's a terrible tome. The part of your description, Hannah, that I really want to like see in the Cher TV show or whatever is Cher at a Cranberries concert being trampled. (laughs) in the mosh pit so badly that she has to go to the medical tent like so it's honestly like very funny the whole concert sequence because she's like i put on my grungiest outfit a t-shirt under a spaghetti strap dress and boots can you believe it like it's so funny and cute and then she's like what's happening to me i'm being trampled (laughs) Uh, yeah i like that i like that <laughs> She's being a good sport with Travis and Ty, and that's nice. That's good share development. Yeah. So there's that, at least. All right. Our next book. Yeah, Hannah, I need your assist on this really hard because even though I have a lot of notes, I read this a long time ago and I don't I'll totally do have it. I have less. The notes. Triumphant Return of H.B. Gilmore, the author of the novelization of Clueless, Clueless Achieving Personal Perfection. Uh, this book opens page one with getting rid of Josh. And here we go. (laughs) Cher, how could you do this to me? Daddy demanded. He was standing behind his mahogany and leather desk, leafing violently through piles of legal papers. What were you thinking of? Are you listening to me, Cher? I've got a major case coming up, and I was counting on Josh's help. How could you send him to Seattle at a time like this? Just in a line. (laughs) How could you send him to Seattle? (laughs) what she has done is that josh's mom is having a fight with her new husband and she has said to josh i think your mother could use your support why don't you go up to seattle and help her out 
And Josh has decided that that's a good thing to do and that he'll get more studying done in Seattle. So he goes to do that. Yeah, Cher goes to school. She's basically just in her social circle as usual. On page nine, we learn from Ty that Travis is going to be in a special event. They're talking about the concept of love. And Cher says, Travis is like slavishly in love with you, Ty. What do you mean he won't see you right now? I think it's because he's entered this major skateboard event and he's freaking over it, like practicing all the time. He's into a vicious crisis of confidence. I hit the brakes. Ty's forward motion was snapped to a halt by the seatbelt stranglehold. Wow, they work, I said admiringly. Ty, this is so dope. This is totally manageable. It's the foremost challenge I've been looking for. When is Travis's event? Ty shook a head of lustrous auburn curls, a far cry from the purple-streaked mane that had once screamed makeover to me. She looked dazed. Uh, now they talk more about the seatbelt. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, just trust me, Ty. When is the event he's practicing for? <clears throat> Do you have a, a contest flyer with you? I pulled into the school parking lot as Ty rifled through her purse. So she's trying to be, as I recall, Hannah, just like a very supportive friend. Yeah, and Ty says, here's when it is. I would love it if you would come. And when the event rolls around, Cher brings everybody and they're all like, um, like rah-rah cheerleader-y. Yeah. Like they've put on funny outfits kind of to like cheer him on. And Ty is like devastated and embarrassed and really unhappy with the turn of events. And also Cher's whole parade thing that she brings to the skateboarding event actually causes Travis to fuck up. Yeah, it's, like, distracting to him. and he Yeah, it's too distracting. They come in like, yeah, Travis, we love him. And it's, like, 40 people, and he looks at them and, and messes up. Travis, to his credit, not upset. He's like, not this at was all. actually awesome. So cool you all came. He was like, thanks for coming, guys. Really wow. a big thank you. This means a lot. Like, he's not upset. Ty is really upset. Travis is and a cool guy. like, Cher, don't talk to me. Yeah, Travis rocks. Yeah. The best dude. Consistently best dude. really solid, yeah. Yeah. So, on page 21, we're in a situation where Ty is furious at Cher over the skateboard event thing, and Cher is talking to Dee about it. And it says, Dee fluttered her big black eyelashes at me. Girlfriend, is there a theme emerging here? What do you mean, I asked, frantically searching for our water and the relief a french fry gorge would bring. I mean, maybe you do get too involved in other people's problems, Cher. That's what Josh was saying, too, I conceded. But I've been thinking about Daddy. I've been thinking maybe what he needs to get his... Maybe what he needs to get his mind off Josh's being away is... No share, Dee interrupted. Don't say it. Don't think it. Don't try it. A relationship, I said. I knew you were going to say that. Dee shook her head. Cher, you can't play matchmaker for your own father. It's severely personal. Anyway, I think the point we're coming to grips with here is that you should, how can I say this delicately, like totally mind your own business. Which is the most daring concept introduced yet in the book series. That they mm -hmm. are in any way critiquing the characters as we know them from the movie. This is a key part of Cher's character, that she put Hall and Geist together, and that it was good, and that the movie is like, that's just unquestionably home run. Now this book is like, Maybe she does actually meddle too much. 
Well, to be fair, Andrew, when she tries to set up Elton and Ty, it totally backfires. Like, her part of her growth is realizing that she doesn't know best for everybody and that matchmaking isn't the solution. So I'm going to push back on you a little bit there. I don't, when I watch Clueless, uh, find that that leads to introspection about, like, whether should be, she should be doing it. I, I think that that, ma- that pairing doesn't work, but she comes out of the movie, like, still in that mode, in my opinion. Okay. Anyway. Uh, Great. I think on 24, we have the introduction of Harriet, a key character in this book. So, essentially, uh, Cher's father, in his capacity as a lawyer, is going to be some sort of consultant for a Hollywood project, which puts him in the orbit of this figure, uh, Harriet Goddard, who's like a Hollywood person. It's, she's a producer. She's a producer. It says, there was a limousine cooling at the curb in front of our house. I ran inside, and as if in answer to my prayers, I heard Daddy laughing for the first time Josh since Josh had left. Hmm. What's happening, Ma? I greeted the portrait in the entryway. Guess what? I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm out of the makeover business. Is that cool or what? And there she was, the obvious cause of my dad's sudden giddiness. A stunning brunette suited up in a trim Donna Karan corporate... Donna Karan? Karen? Donna Karan. Corporate power plate coat dress. Manolo Balbonic? I got it. Manolo Bonic heels. I know fashion. And a vintage (laughs) Louis Vuitton attache case. She was draped across the white leather sofa in this casually confident way, trailing about a yard of YSL black silk-clad leg. I was fully impressed. Harriet is cool, I think is a key part of this book. Yeah. She's like a nice person. She really likes working with Cher's dad on this project. And Cher becomes very obsessed with the idea of, like, they're going to be a couple. I have found a new mom. Hannah, where should we go from there? Well, I have found someone new for my father to love more than a new father. <laughs> okay, sure. And I think those are different relationships. Mm, mm, mm. Good point. <clears throat> and Harriet is like, listen, Cher, you seem lovely. Why don't you come by the studio and I'll show you around sometime? Mm-hmm. You're an industrious young lady. This could be good for you. At which point, she like trying to get Cher into no, no, step on my toes. I'm not. This is held together by string today. Um, (laughs) At which point, she meets Brad, who is a a a a director, uh, kind of uh, the type of up and coming director where everyone's like, oh, he's definitely got the juice. He's going to be huge, type of thing. He's made like one art film that everybody was obsessed with. Uh But he's like a dorkus. Like he dresses bad and he has long hair and he like looks dumb. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, right, is Cher's like, this guy needs a makeover. But I won't do it because that's not my business anymore. But he looks at her and is like, Cher, you need a makeover. You're so juvenile. What are you doing? <laughs> you look like a baby. And she's like, oh my God, I look like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the director says that to her? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so he sort of, like, takes her under his, like, adult wing and inspires in her, like, a professional woman makeover. 
and like buys her like business suits and dark lipstick and like stuff that makes her look like more grown up and everyone else in her life is like Cher what is happening to you you look ridiculous you're 16 and she's like no no I'm a grown up now I'm taking myself really seriously and she's like reading like professional development books and like that kind of thing the professional development books are very funny. In the one case where she she's like listening to an audio book, essentially, it's like having her do mantras, and it's like, "I am strong. I am smart. I will survive the merger." Yes, <laughs> they're like just out of her league um, because she is a sixteen-year-old girl. I, I think that in general, this book has a lot better prose than the previous two. And it, that to me is like the, the grand return of Gilmore. We have this, this passage mm-hmm. on, on 54 where Brad's going to like give her directions to, to meet him for something. And Cher thinks, people in LA always give you directions. And they're always saying, you take the freeway and get off at this exit and all as if it were no big thing. Right. Like, let's play bumper tag at 80 miles an hour with really angry military aircraft workers who have recently lost their job due to congressional budget cuts and short, depressed, retired people who mix up their medications and can't see over the steering wheel. That's why I have a Thomas Guide in my Jeep, so I can get places without ever going on the freeway. Once was enough. Thank you. This book respects Cher's intelligence. (laughs) She is a smart girl. Is she clueless? Yes, but she is smart. I think that's the key to writing Sherwell, and I think it's it happens a couple times in in Negotiates New York when she's talking about like Josh and the and the coffee shop type people and whatnot, and she's like she's like ah I'm nothing like them, you know they're blah blah blah, and then she describes the type of person so intelligently. You're like your anti intellectualism is like shockingly intellectual. <laughs> She's a smart girl. She's going to turn out fine. Uh, the thing about Brad, it seems at first, okay, we mm-hmm. have a pattern of uh, Cher kind of being hit on by other men and there being threats to her relationship. Is Brad going to be somebody that hits on her? Is he another griffin? It turns out that he is totally smitten with Lauren. Who's like an assistant at the production It's really not company. appropriate that he's into her, but he is. She's like a film student. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit um, power dynamic-y, but she likes him too, so in the end, it's okay. Yeah, yeah in the end, it's okay. We um, get to a point where Cher essentially is just like, hey, Dad, are you going to marry Harriet? Because in my mind, it has already happened. Um, so it says... Oh, he's saying there's going to be some big changes. Uh, and she's and Cher thinks my heart lurched. I blurted out the first thing that came to my mind. Does this have anything to do with Harriet? Plenty. Are you getting married, Daddy? To whom? Harriet Goddard. He stopped pacing and frowned angrily at me. What's the matter with you, Cher? What are you talking about? Me marrying Harriet? Well, she's attractive, bright, self-sufficient. You respect her, right? Of course, I respect her. I respect my partner, Cy Rappaport, too. But I wouldn't marry him even if he didn't eat like a pig. What in the world made you think I would marry Harriet? Well, you said this had something to do with her. It has, don't get me wrong. I like Harriet. She's a smart, good-looking woman. Her connections are terrific. She's introduced me to more prospective clients in the past couple of weeks than I've met in years. And of course, I was very flattered by how much she wanted me to work with her. I like the way she came after me, but that's all business. 
business. I was awash in confusion. I mean, I'd seen Harriet practically picking out Daddy's wardrobe. And what about all that beaming? I... The thing about this book is that it has the the idea, what if she didn't meddle as much? But it also eventually takes it one step further. Like, just to sort of speed through here, she eventually is being so hands-off, so I've changed, I don't meddle, that she has a further realization where it's like, when people ask me to help, I am allowed to do that. The the ultimate lesson of this book... Christian helps her come to that Christian, conclusion. Christian, her best friend ever and the nicest boy in the world, uh, helps her come <laughs> yeah. to that conclusion. And, and so she... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really speeding through here, but she basically helps Brad like do a whole makeover so that so that Lauren likes him and helps her father in like certain regards like 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 with his like day-to-day life and decision making things where he's really like share I need your help um so she she goes from like I'm gonna meddle in everything I'm gonna meddle in nothing and she finds the third bowl of porridge which which I really like Hannah on a plot basis Mm -hmm. what am I leaving out here um eventually Josh comes home and they're happy and they cuddle a bunch in a way that I don't know is a little too cuddly for me. <laughs> something weird. I don't know something weird about the way that the two of them are written together, where he's always like kissing her on the top of her head, and I'm like, what is she? <laughs> I don't know. Well, There's just something to it that really makes me feel weird. Um, she kind no, of I is. think you've covered the basis of the plot. I mean, there's um. Also in the arc of like too much, too little, which is kind of like find the happy medium is the point of this book. Uh, with her fashion sense, she's like cute and then she goes savvy but like being savvy is like painful and uncool (laughs) and she has like shoes that really hurt her and everyone's like you don't have to do it and she finds a medium where she's like I can be cute for now because I'm a little girl but when I grow up I know how to dress uh, which I think is nice I do want to read one passage about Josh sort of in the middle on page 57 Mm -hmm. wallowing in misery is so not my thing Blah, blah, blah. She's like in phys ed. But halfway through class, I had this total revelation about Josh. Basically, it was like, been there, done that. What's next? I was stretched out on the bleachers, soaking up some rays when I remembered how tortured I'd been in New York City about why Josh wasn't answering my pages. Then there was the international incident when Josh was in Paris. I'd been jealous, thought he was jeeping on me, jumped to all sorts of smoked out conclusions. Each time there'd been a deeply plausible explanation deeply for it plausible. all. Deeply plausible. <laughs> yeah. Now it was deja vu all over again. Next to being pitied by my friends, I hate being neurotically insecure. It's so demeaning. So I sat up, dusted off my gym suit, and decided to trust Josh and move on with my life. Which is just like a nice little, like, we're not doing it again. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciated Cher's, like, self-aware being like, what am I doing? This is so stupid. It's fine. I love him. He loves me. Let's get over it. I might be reading into it too much, but it just felt like H.B. Gilmore, like, reading the previous books and being like, are we doing a series? Do people grow and change? Are we doing a series? Let's do a series. H.P. <laughs> Gilmore is obviously the talented author who understands the characters, I think. The, Andrew yeah, well, Ruby. I was just going to say the whole thing, oh, say the something whole thing else, just wraps please, up course. in a very sitcom way where uh, <laughs> Brad Dietz, who's, who's hot for his employee, he, um, he, they, the, his coworker, um, <laughs> Cher helps him, you know, with a big makeover to make him look like uh, different but still incredible or whatever. And uh, at the end, they're all going to watch uh, Brad Dietz's film, which is 20 minutes long. 
It's like a document. He's a short oh, he's film a short documentarian. Film documentarian. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he has made a short film about his own makeover. <laughs> well, no, he's made a short film about his own movie making process called Movie Maker. But yeah, Cher tricks Lauren into coming over to watch his movie. And what she's really planning to do is to have Brad show up like at the end of the night and have them be like, oh, wow, you're so hot now. We're in love. And have him like talk to Lauren about his feelings. And instead, dumb Josh puts the wrong cassette <laughs> tape in the VCR. And Lauren sees like the footage of Brad being like, I love her. I love her so much. She's the best girl in the world. And she's one of she doesn't, that, If she doesn't say yes love. to me asking her out, you have to burn this tape. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it ends with this very, like, uh, sitcom-y thing where instead of him just outright being like, do you want to go on a date? It's like she has to see him, like, candidly being like, I love her so much. And Anyway. There is this awful moment where Cher, like, turns on Josh and is like, how could you do that? You've ruined everything. Yeah. And Josh says to her, whoops, my bad. Oh, no. Sorry, hold on. I got it a little bit funny. But, like, they have, like, a mini fight. Mm-hmm. And Josh is like, what's wrong with you right now? Why are you yelling at me? And Cher says to him, my bad. Hello, let's not get all Madonna Sean Penn over this. It was just an accident, okay? Which is like, not appropriate (laughs) to say to your boyfriend, period. I think if he's not trying to kill you. They they then, uh, at the end of the book, they show the movie about the makeover at a movie theater everyone's really excited about it and it's hilariously starts with a quote from george bernard shaw yeah but then it it also has like a thank you share dedicated to share and she's learned her she's lesson learned how about letting and when ask. to meddle okay hannah i'm ready mm-hmm. okay andrew overby you are an up-and-coming film director, mm. okay? And you're, like, wearing a lot of gold chains Classic. right now because you I think that's cool. I have an earring cool. as well. Okay. Yeah, I think you have an earring as well. <laughs> and you're, like, kind of cute in, like, a Antonio Banderas way, but, like, definitely a white mm-hmm. guy, I would say for sure. But anyway, <laughs> you're looking for your next project to make into a short feature documentary, <laughs> Would you consider adapting Clueless, Achieving Personal Perfection, and then maybe recommend it to other people in your production company? If this was the first Clueless spinoff book I read, I would uh, not adapt it. I would probably drop kick it out a window. It's it's not like a good book, uh, but the fact that it was the third one that I read uh, really made me be like, oh, this one like does things and has observations about characters just the the lowest bar possible that the first two books could not even clear and this one's like oh yeah there will be a story on the pages so it's only good in context you'll have to think about a lesson that you could apply to your own life young readers yeah there's like a moral in this one which which is good um when brad Dietz made the film makeover it was a huge hit and People started referring to it, as is said on the last couple pages of this book. They started referring to anyone making a comeback as doing a deets. Uh, And it's said in this book that when MTV just, like, got better or had a renaissance, they started saying MTV did a deets after this guy. I hope this series does a deets. 
this is the step a step in the right direction. It's not like an amazing book, but you know, if they keep getting better, which it sounds like the next one might be pretty good. Johnny Pomato, you have the floor. Oh, good. Uh, okay, I uh, have used some of this time to 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 get some perspective on this whole series, and I think I figured out what is happening. Uh, all of your books seem to be sequels to the movie. They were probably written in between the movie's release and the introduction of the television show. My book is definitely a canon with the show, uh, as evidenced by several things that um, are, are about to blow your mind. Oh my god! Uh, she okay. has a clue so. In this uh, one. <laughs> she does have a little more of a clue. I'd say that she's a little more intelligent than she sounds in your books overall, uh, and a little less uh, paranoid about her romance. Uh, well, I, there's a reason for that. Uh, and uh, and then also, she, she's kind of, I mean, she's not really matchmaking in this one, but she is like kind of the share from the movie in that she is like very take charge and she is she has a mission to do things. Um, so the TV series came out on uh, TGIF ABC in uh, the fall of 1996. So just over a year after the release of the film. It ran for, I think, 13 episodes before getting canceled and then switching over to UPN with a much smaller budget, which is why a few of the cast members like disappear and get recast and stuff like that. Uh, the Clueless TV show takes place somewhere within the timeline of the movie. It's a little confusing because uh, Miss Geist and Mr. Hall have married, that that is mentioned, but she is not with Josh. None of that has happened, but uh, she's, you know, her friendship with uh, Ty and Dee and Murray, that's all constant. Except, well, at least in this book it is. Uh, Ty is in my book. However, Ty is only in three episodes out of 62 of the series. Ty is written out. Ty, the, 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 the movie, or the, the series exists more or less without Ty. Uh, I don't know if the actress wasn't working out, or they just decide, uh, you know, you know, one friend is enough. Um, these these but exist Dash in an alternate reality where Cher failed to negotiate New York? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Uh, so, well, this is all, uh, she is still, like, in high school, and, uh, well, I guess she is in yours as well, but, uh, yes, this is before she's with Josh, and, like, it is to the point that at first I really thought, like, oh, we're kind of repeating moments from the movie. Uh, there's, uh, oh, in addition to Ty, there's no Christian, uh, there's well, no, they couldn't put a gay person yeah. on TV, which uh, is upsetting. <laughs> there's no um, Travis, although there's a character named Jesse who I thought was Travis or thought was supposed to be Travis because he has like the same sort of beat that Travis has in the movie, where he uh, he's not accepting a, like a fake award for tardies, but he does this thing for the class where he, I, I think he is late to class and he says to Mr. Hall like, "I was at a." Goo Goo Dolls concert or something last night, and that's why I'm late. And you know, the yeah, and he his dad's in the music industry, which becomes important later in the book. And uh, he he does this speech, and the whole class applauds. It's like, wow, this is like very much like the movie. Uh, and uh, it wasn't until like I was halfway through, it was like, oh wait, Travis and Jesse are not the same person. There there is no Travis. Anyway, my book by Randy Reesfeld is called Cher's Furiously Fit Workout. And uh, it begins with uh, Cher marveling that 
you know, everyone has something going on except her. Ty, for instance, uh, is training a seeing eye dog. And that's basically her whole plot. Like, you can see that Ty is about to be written out of this series because <laughs> she does almost nothing in this book. Um, meanwhile, okay, now we're about to get into some dicey territory because Dee has a new thing going on where she uh, is, uh, sh- she she just saw the new movie, the new 1995 movie, Waiting to Exhale, and she is getting in touch with her African roots. Something that Cher is not happy about uh yeah for various reasons mostly because it's distracting from Cher being the center of attention and then also d uh d is then uh you know uh she breaks up with murray and she starts dating a guy described as like oh he looks like leon which i guess just means darker um and uh and then she gets uh she starts wearing dashikis and she becomes uh friends with, she has a new trio of friends named shaniqua shawana and essence okay <laughs> sam's covering uh, his face yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah 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 no no the, the the book is full of this stuff um and uh Cher is very upset that i mean this is a th- this is an arc that that it takes a while for her to get to this point but Cher is upset that uh d is really focusing on her blackness and not her uh in fact, she even says at one point, like, more like waiting to exclude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So Cher is <laughs> There's getting... There's a lot of face touching on the chat. <laughs> Cher is getting her uh, daily after school massage. And she is saying, oh, gosh, everyone has, like, a thing going on except me. Why don't I have something going on? And uh, the, her masseuse, she says, uh, well, you're you're really fit. Like, that's something, right? You, you, you seem to have a hobby of, like, staying in shape. And Cher says, yeah, it's true. I wish everyone were as, like, fit and, like, rocking as, you know, my bod is. And that that's when she gets the idea. It's like, oh, you know... Some I could like get everyone in shape by making like a uh, workout video for teens, like ones that you know they can relate to. Because the only people with workout tapes are old ladies like Jane Fonda. So <laughs> this is when the masseuse says, "Oh my gosh, this is a great idea! I have to h- hook you up with this guy. He is a fitness trainer to the stars." To the cast of Friends, everyone. And Don't introduce Cher to new men. It very rarely goes well. They're very creepy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this guy is definitely uh, kind of a creep. His name is Buff Bobby. And uh, <laughs> Cher meets up with him at a California pizza kitchen, which uh, was very popular in the, uh, the the 90s before they franchised. And uh, and then he says, Cher, I think this is a great idea. This, uh, this workout tape thing. We, we'll, we'll make a workout tape for teens, by teens. It's going to be great. And Cher says, great, I have all these ideas for it. And he says, whoa, 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 slow down, sis. Uh, we are going to uh, do this the right way. In fact, I am going to uh, get together like a camera crew and stuff like that. All I need is like someone to invest in this. Gosh, if only someone had some money for this, like, you know, fitness trainer to the stars probably oh, should wow. have some money. But uh, Cher says, well, I could ask my daddy, Mel. And he says, oh, great, good idea. And so... <laughs> 
Uh, he says, I'll draw up some contracts. And like, he suspiciously like delivers the contracts to her like that night, like a few hours later. They're, they're like delivered to her house and then she can present them to her dad. And he is wary. He's like, uh, I don't know about this share. This is a lot of money. And I'm thinking, how much money do you need for this fitness tape where it's just like you, you get a couple cameras, you get a few teenagers and you, you do some and one and two and one and two like that. Uh, but no, it becomes a whole thing. Mel does does sign off on it. He agrees, but he does say, uh, you know, if, if, you know, if you're going to do this, I'm going to expect uh, some return for my investment. And to make sure that all of this is on the up and up, I need Josh to supervise. And, you know, this is the share who doesn't really like Josh, because I guess the TV series decide that it worked better when they had a will they or won't they chemistry, sort of a Sam and Diane, except uh, you know, everyone agrees that writes this series, they can't. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so th- this is when Cher says, uh-oh, looks like Josh's cameo is about to extend into a recurring guest role. Uh, okay, so, yeah. Gag. Um, and then, uh, hold on. Well, I want to uh, point out here, too, it sounds like yeah. the book doesn't take place actually in any established point of time. Because, like, an interquell taking place during another piece of art, you want to be able to pinpoint it. But, like, if Geist and Hall are together, but Cher and Josh aren't together. That doesn't exist in linear space-time. I think that... You simply must acknowledge that once you change actors, you enter an alternate yeah. universe where many things yeah, are different. and I think that the idea was, like, by keeping Hall and Geist married, that, like, give gave them more like opportunities for subplots and stuff and uh, uh but yeah it, it, this it, we are definitely in tv show territory now where like at the end of everything we every you know episode we have to return to the status quo so everything can be upended again the next week uh anyway so uh buff bobby is uh 26 years old and share is what, 15? Or is she 16? I guess she's 16 because she does her driver's test. Anyway, she's a high school sophomore, and yet I start to suspect, like, oh no, Buff Bobby is, like, the love <laughs> interest of this book, or the potential love interest. Uh, and yes, it does start to go in that direction slowly, but I could not trust Buff Bobby as far as I could throw him. Like, there was just something off about this guy. And I'm reading this book, and I was like, I can't tell what it's going to be. Is he conning them? He's, like, taking all the money? It, like, th- th- something is is wrong here. I, I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And it turns out to be a lot of things, and, and none of it's quite as bad as you expect, but none of it's good either. Uh, it, it's, it's weird. Uh, oh, meanwhile... Amber, everyone remember Amber? She barely got any mention in your books, but uh, she seems to be a very big part of the TV series. Uh, she gets talked about in our books turns. a little. It's just, it's always just to diss her. Yeah, they and just, she gets like, she gets yeah, like she a sucks. page on every book. Amber's part of the group. It's, that's exactly her. what it is here too. Every yeah. friend group. So has she one. is like the villain who they're friends with, but like she exists to you know just be trashed on. In this book, she is running for class president, and. I kept waiting for that to mean anything. It just gets mentioned like every 30 pages. Like, oh, meanwhile, Amber was sad that they didn't go to her debate. I'm like, w- when are these stories going to converge? And the answer is kind of never. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, meanwhile, uh, uh, 
uh, yeah, so so like I said, uh, Bobby is he's personal trainer to the the stars. He he says I'm personal trainer to the whole TGI uh, TGIF lineup. Urkel has real definition under those costumes. He also trained Halle Berry, my girl from the Flintstones. He says this is like to timestamp it. You know that that's what Halle Berry was famous for at the moment. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they are putting things together and Cher keeps meeting with him and she keeps talking about fashion choices. Like she wants everyone color coordinated in like citrus colors and stuff like that. Uh, meanwhile, this is difficult because like Dee says she will be a part of it, but she wants to wear her like African dashikis and such. And she wants her new friends to be in it. And Cher doesn't like this at all. Uh, meanwhile, Ty is presumably still training her seeing eye dog. Uh uh, let's see. Uh, oh, oh, they they keep uh, going uh, to meetings at uh, Trattoria Amici, which I guess was like a real uh, hot restaurant in LA at the time. And uh, I they keep. I, I really like this line where he says, "Let's hit up the Trat for a snack." It's like, oh, that's a, that's a cool the thing. Trat. Yeah, we should, we should, yeah, the, the Trat. Yeah, yeah, that's that's like a thing that everyone will say. Um, oh, at one point, I finally like realize like oh of course Cher is Jewish but it was because like Mel uh calls someone a schnorrer which I thought like oh no is this like an anti-semitic slur that I don't know about and the answer is like sort of inconclusive I guess it's okay because he's talking about like a fellow member of his tribe but uh it it, it does it did really like give me pause and sent me racing for my google uh search um uh okay so yeah so they're uh Cher uh, is putting this all together and Bobby seems shady but she says oh let's throw a party the night before and we're going to uh you know j- j- just like get in a, a good mood they're going to film the 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 video the next day at the school campus like like basically in front of the school uh, as a backdrop but uh, Cher throws a big party her dad is out of town but Josh is there to supervise everything and just everything goes wrong at the party uh Ty uh, uh slips on the drool from her dog and breaks her arm oh my uh, god yeah <laughs> D and no. Murray get in a huge fight. Uh, you know they're broken up, but they get in this huge fight, and and D pushes Murray into the pool, uh, which actually thrills Cher uh, because she says, "Oh my gosh, don't you know what this means? They're back together." Because the, you know they wouldn't be fighting if they didn't really love each other. Uh, and uh, and then mm-hmm. she uh, and this is also where she and Buff Bobby kiss. Uh, although she does note that like Buff Bobby, every time they're together, he's always checking his phone, always checking his cell phone. Which is weird because I'm also thinking, doesn't this predate text messages? I guess this, he's getting voicemails. This or guy something. definitely like owes money to the mob. <laughs> <laughs> that would be better. Um, so, uh, but like, she is really excited that she and Buff Bobby like could be together. She says like, we were so meant for each other, like Madonna and Carlos, who I think is her trainer in Madonna Truth or Dare. Uh, Wasn't he her trainer first? And Julia Roberts, she was dating her fitness guru too. It was way cutting edge kismet or something. Uh, So yes, Ty breaks her arm. uh, Dee shows up in an African headdress and uh, oh, and uh, Cher says, well, maybe if you'd spend a few minutes of your precious empowerment time to shop with me, then we could have come up with something that works for all of us. It's like, yeah, it's really. uh, Oh my God, Cher needs to. That is really. This is a nasty (laughs) turn. Cher, girl. No, no, yeah. H.P. Gilmore is sitting at home reading this, crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they start filming it and everything's going okay but there's like like all the guys are there too oh meanwhile the the 
the one guy I mentioned who's not Travis. Uh, what did I say his name was? Matthew? Uh, no, something. Jesse, thank you. Uh, he is, uh, he's like, oh yeah, my dad works in the music industry. I'll get us some hot bands. And he doesn't really come through with them, uh, with those. And uh, so everything's like not going well. And that's when Buff Bobby just snaps and screams at everyone. And, you know, shares like, ooh, whoa, what's going on here, Buff Bobby? I, I, you know, we're doing our best. We're just having a fun time. It's like, oh, I have money invested in this thing. You, you little, you know. Uh, but then of course, Josh saves the day like he does in the movie. He's there. He's like, and, and you know, he, he talks down to Buff Bobby. He said, look, Bub, this is, you know, this, you do not have money invested in this. Mel has money invested in this. And I'm, you know, and, I, and, and he puts something sneaky into the contract that was signed. He put a clause in that is like that, that basically means that Mel is going to get his money back uh, regardless of, of whether this thing happens or not or something like that. It's, it's very like legality wins like, uh, yeah, basically <laughs> that. But like, yeah, the, the important thing is that Josh saves the day and like Cher says, oh, thank you, Josh. I should have believed in you this whole time. And then Josh says, don't worry, Cher. I'll think of some way for you to make it up to me it's like oh it's kind of creepy oh. <laughs> you know, i never yeah, like that phrase mm-hmm, that's true yeah. um but you know everything works out even though the the video doesn't get completed murray has the idea it's like oh we'll like submit it to america's funniest home videos and like you can really tell that this uh this uh, uh you know show was going to be on abc because they're constantly referencing abc shows like Cher watches <laughs> lois and clark the new adventures of superman they're talking about tgif they're talking about urkel uh the one uh different thing which which really made me happy it's like ah oh, Cher, you're my girl she watches letterman she loves letterman uh i i you know this is you know abc didn't have a late night host at the time i'm sure she would be watching jimmy kibble if he were on but he wasn't so it's like yeah she likes letterman uh the abc branding was strong and d meanwhile <laughs> all of the progress she's made with like finding her roots and like you, you know oh i'm this this is who i am now share this is what defines me uh you know m- my my african heritage uh she decides she, she's like ah, i like my old clothes better so she changes back to what she used to be and she says the only color that matters is the only color that matters is blue as in true so it's like they're friends again and all is well uh so yeah that's uh shares furiously fit workout what what happened to buff bobby at the end oh 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 gosh i'm sorry i can't believe i forgot no (laughs) he's He's not that nefarious but (laughs) but yes those he's always checking his cell phone that's because he has a girlfriend that's right he has a serious (gasps) girlfriend and that he's just been leading Cher on oh my god he does kiss her oh my god uh yeah he's leading her on to finish this video uh and then at the end you know Cher discovers like, oh, not only was he cheating on his girlfriend with Cher, or, you know, to some degree, just a little smooching, uh, he's also with the masseuse and the whole thing was like oh part God. of this plan like yeah the masseuse like oh i'll oh introduce her to buff bobby oh it's like God. oh no no you're you're fucking you're you're the two of you are fucking and this is what you're taking advantage of this poor teenage girl uh yeah, so Buff Bobby, bad news. Um, yeah, I, you know, the whole time I was reading, I was sort of picturing like a Casper Van Dien type or something like that. I, I don't know, but I don't know if UPN or ABC could afford him. Johnny, uh, the thing you were saying about all the ABC shows being plugged, I actually saw an episode of Clueless that was um, originally aired on UPN, and Cher at one point is like, 
no, I can't come over. I'm watching three episodes in a row of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, <laughs> one episode of Becker, and then two mm. episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's a typical afternoon. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I'm surprised she didn't uh, uh, name check uh, Homeboys in Outer Space or The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. Those were like the big uh, UPN shows <laughs> the year it premiered. Um, there's, yes. some, there's always something oddly real about putting Deep Space Nine and Voyager against Becker. I was like, this is the same audience. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Those are odd things to put alongside each other. But can I tell you, I am a huge Ted Danson fan. I love Ted Danson. I've seen every episode of Cheers more times than I can count, and yet I've never seen an episode of Becker. Not not one. It's I, not I, too is late. It, I, I, oh, I can't find it anywhere or anything. But, like, it was... <laughs> I, I, I think... speaking out of her ass. It's not too well, late. <laughs> I, it, oh, it doesn't exist? Okay. If there's one thing I've learned from watching TV is that you can find it if I know. you really I, set I'm your sure mind I can... to it. And I'm going to work on this for you. And if I have to, I'll buy you a DVD. Yeah, I don't know if it ever had a DVD because I do listen to Ken Levine's podcast who used to write for Becker. And he talks about from time to time Mm -hmm. and how it's sort of a forgotten show, even though it was a big hit. I think it ran for like six seasons. But I think that those six seasons were... Well, at least the pilot is Uh, on Daily uh, Motion, which makes me think that large portions of it are... As has yeah. been my experience. I think I was in boarding school and then college when it was on, so it just completely bypassed me. But it's like a, a whole Ted Danson show I've never seen. Gosh, I have to rectify Ted- this. Oh, baby. Season one is on Amazon. The complete series is on Amazon. We've all ha- okay. You can buy it Johnny, on not DVD. Fun tonight, kids. You want it? Not- I may have to investigate this, yeah. Jo- Johnny, uh, not just a Ted Danson show. Ted Danson and Amanda from Saw. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Oh, oh no! Yeah, I, I did know that. Yeah, show. Shawnee Smith oh, yeah. is on that show. <gasps> Good for Good her. Good for her. Oh, oh my had gosh! Such a crush on the blob. Anyway, uh, so that shares furiously fit workout, and uh, despite it uh, raising all these red flags with all these like th- you know notions like wait this is this is about a teenage girl and all these you know horrible things are happening to her and around her. Uh, I did kind of enjoy it. I think Johnny, it was amusing. I'll pimp you into it. Johnny Pomato, oh, pimp, you are... Pimp me. Pimp me, Andrew. <laughs> you are a constantly on the move con man. You made some terrible mistakes <laughs> in Atlantic City, and you have some scary people after you. <clears throat> you are able to stop off at the gym for a second to work out in a new city. Someone spots you in workout clothes, a teenage girl, and is like... Hey, you're obviously a fitness guy. Will you make a video of me and my teenage friends working out? And you see your next grift and your way out from under the terrible boot that threatens you. (laughs) You have to buy a couple days so that no one breaks your kneecaps and you can make this video. Would you recommend to the people you are in debt to Shares Furiously Fit Workout by Randy Reisfeld? Okay. This is not a great book, but compared to what you were all saying, which sort of sounded like it was betraying the characters from the movie that we love so much, I think that maybe, just maybe, this 
feels a little more like the characters that we knew in the show, minus Ty, who barely does anything. Uh, I do like that, like, we seem to still be within the realm of the timeline of that show, or of the film. So what worked from the movie is sort of working here with the banter with Josh. And it's like, oh, they're kind of flirting, but they're also not because she's, you know, she's kind of mean to him, but she also likes it. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, th- yeah, the the, the D storyline is uh, unfortunate because, uh, uh, yeah, y- y- uh, I don't How know. How does that there, resolve, just- by the way? Oh, like I said, it doesn't. She just decides wow. like, yeah, I decided that I'm going to wear my old clothes and I'll still be friends with my, you know, Essence and Shaniqua, but uh, but you're my best friend, Cher. And so I'm going to once again center my life around you. And if you ever ask me to do something, I will come running and say, oh, of course, I'll star in your fitness tape and wear whatever clothes that you pick out for me, etc. cetera. Uh, so I do think that this has a few like decent like one-liners in it like it's like oh occasionally it feels like an amy heckerling script a bit uh and i like that characters return and uh i don't know what they're doing with amber but i know that she was a huge part of the show and that the actress was dating chris Catan at the time <laughs> um and uh you know, I, I don't know if I would read more of these, and I, I don't know if I would watch this show in its UPN series. I'm not reading as, any more of these. Yeah, but is, uh, but not, I, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I'm kind of curious how the original ABC run fared when Amy Heckerling was still a producer, and it had a better cast and all around. So, uh, a mild recommendation, just because all of your books sound uh, like they would just upset me. I think they might. I've done some quick research on the television show, and I would like to say a couple of things about it. One, the guy who plays Josh would go on to play Sabrina's boyfriend after Harvey, whose name is also Uh, Josh. I was going to say Harvey. I'm Sabrina (laughs) the Jewish. His name is also Harvey. (laughs) No, but that's a funny, weird thing. And apparently they write him off super hard after the first season. Uh. But in the first season, there are episodes that feature Paul Rudd as a guest star, Brittany Murphy as a guest star. I see this on IMDb. Bronson Pinchot I, I did see as that, a guest but, star. You know, it was right? a 90s series, so, so of course I that think, was bound to happen eventually. For sure. But like, it seems like what we should do is do a Wild Wild West episode where we watch yeah, a couple of these. We can do that. I think I want to watch that Paul Rudd one because here's the Wikipedia description of the episode with Paul Rudd, okay? Cher falls in love with a college student. What's so ironic about it is that his name is Sonny, Paul Rudd. They are a match made in heaven until Sonny finds out how old Cher is. Oh, no. Oh, no. So I think that sounds really interesting. I'm praying that it's the twist of Orphan. That she's like 45. <laughs> I, I do want to say before we sign off here that these books, I, I would not want to give them to a to a teenage person because the books are very much like, it's, you know, it's totally fine and normal when very old men hit on you until they do something else that's really fucked up. Yeah, you shouldn't try to date... Older men when you're in high school. Date high school boys. That's for the best. Sam Myers, thank you for following us down this, uh, honestly, ultimately pretty (laughs) horrible rabbit hole of these books. (laughs) I really appreciate the immense uh, 
patience and understanding it must have taken to to do that for someone you haven't seen in years. No, Andrew, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Truly, thank you for having me. We'll um we'll have you back at some point in the future to discuss something that's like known to be good. Great, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners, please do rate our podcast. Please do review it. Please do subscribe to it. Tell your friends. Also go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash authorized pod. And as usual, I'm going to sign off by reading a passage from a classic piece of literature. Please tweet at authorized pod if you think, because you might not be right, that you recognize what this is from. The teenage girl walked into the Borders bookstore and saw the wall of 20 clueless spin-off books. Wow, they're all real, and I can read them all? <laughs> yes, said the employee. It's the most wonderful story ever told, smashed into a million little pieces. Is that the name of that book? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I Great. So. Good night. As I was reading these books, I kept wondering, wait for it to load. Uh-huh. It's really taking a while to load. Where the fuck is Josh? So the concept of this game is that I am going to show you a Josh, and it will either be a real person named Josh or a character named Josh. And you have to tell me the movie or TV show that they are from. Make sense? I, I think so. <laughs> I, I, I do think I've created a game that uh, is 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 un like fairly uh, weighted towards Hannah and her interests. So here we go. The I rule, like of course. Boys. <laughs> I'm going to show you a Josh. You can tell me who they are. That's fine, but that's not how you get the point. How you get the point is telling me what property they are from, because that is where they are okay mm-hmm. up first where the fuck is josh god he's looking old there uh that should be he's a clue not, not the best photo yeah, of this they, man like, you know you can really see those wrinkles bunching up on uh, <laughs> mr hartnett for those listening at home uh, uh johnny I, i'm gonna say johnny and uh johnny. I, i'm gonna say uh, he's not so old as he looks, uh, but he's just looking tense because he is witnessing the attack on Pearl Harbor. Wow. That's really wrong, but oh. I love the logic. <laughs> okay, I guess he is old. I'll say this. The, the, the whole old idea is good. It's a recent property. Mm. I don't know. All right. If no one has it, this is, of course, the movie Wrath of Man. <gasps> Oh, the, that's uh, what Josh has been up to. I thought very thrilling movie from about two years ago starring Jason Statham. Up next, where the fuck is Josh? Is he the dog or the guy? 
<laughs> my goal here was to create a game that was more winnable than the slang can game. Can you like move your mouse yeah, so I can look like, like this the, man's eyes? The mouse Thank is, you. is really like blocking his, his, the window to his soul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really thought this game would be easier than like, what does mutton shunter mean? Oh, it's a police. <laughs> <laughs> we may get there, but I don't know this man. Uh, yeah, I've I've never seen this guy as as far as I know. Uh, I don't know if this is like a second generation of Marley and him or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. Well, points still up in the air and can be grabbed. Johnny is correct that the Josh in question, Josh Gad, is the dog. Oh. Oh, this is like uh uh, uh Johnny. Go screw a dog's purpose is that this right? is of course a dog's purpose wow. Wow. literally wow. go screw <laughs> <laughs> to be clear for the listener there's a boy and a dog in the photo it was a classic switcheroo okay johnny yeah up one point against Ooh. two zeros where the fuck is josh hannah hannah the west ring who are we looking at uh, this is Bradley Whitford, whose character's name is Josh on The West Wing. This is, of course, Josh Lyman from yeah. The West Wing. Oh, I didn't Anna. know there was television Good programs work. at play. <laughs> mm. I really mm. took a guess that it was, I mean, he could have played a Josh in a movie and I wouldn't know. And you would have really stumped me. All right. Up next, where the fuck is Josh? Hannah. Hannah Blackman. This is Night at the Museum is where he is. Mm. Mm. Or, he or could maybe, be a, maybe battling a tower the Smithsonian. Heist. Does someone want to take a guess? <laughs> uh, I, I would. Well, okay. I took my guess. Uh, yeah, and it was I mean, Night at the Museum. And yeah, I and wrong. I won't steal Hannah's guess, but I would have guessed a, a little closer in the timeline to Tower Heist because he's looking a little old. Not uh, Josh Hartnett old, but you know, it's uh, he, he's wearing some of those Meet the Parents movies on his face. This is, of course, everyone's favorite character, Josh Kovacs from Tower Heist, uh, allegedly, who mm-hmm. has seen this. Um, yeah, I, I think like I did fun. see it. Okay, uh, I'm giving that point to Johnny because oh uh, no no no, I guessed it, Ernest. No, you no, got to take I it. I said Tower I, I would too. give I would give that. Oh, to I'm Hannah. sorry, I didn't hear you double buzz in for your two guesses. <laughs> oh, uh, Hannah, I have no part in this nonsense. I'm not writing down a point for either of us. <laughs> okay. okay, so on my scorecard, we're one to one to zero with Sam. All right, and I think Sam can come back. Not too late. For Up me. next. Where the fuck is Josh? Oh, Johnny. <laughs> Johnny. That is, that is Josh Baskin in Big. He's waving goodbye to his adult lover. Johnny, I can't I've believe you have the last name of the yeah. kid. <laughs> I've never seen Big, but they did a good job casting a tiny Tom Hanks. Yeah, looking that's at a, this picture. a wonderful film. Uh, for the listener, this is, of course, um, a, a small child. Uh, the, the child version of the one who becomes Big. Um, although he is in a in a man's suit, so as to so as to show, you know, how he's changed. Up next, where the fuck is Josh? Hannah. Hannah Blackman. This is Josh Peck in the remake of Red Dawn. This is, of course, Josh Peck in the remake of Red Dawn. Bravo! <laughs> I did not know he was in. I wow. saw it in a movie theater. Who? <laughs> Second this is the one Josh where they... in the cast. 
it, it just feels like the only like eight year pocket where you would make this movie and it wouldn't work as Russians. <laughs> yeah, good point. We could just make the movie with Russians again now. <laughs> I haven't okay. seen Josh Peck in anything other than Drake and Josh. I don't think ever. I'm quite fond of him, but I couldn't tell you why. I like him. <laughs> I'm quite fond of him, but I couldn't tell you a single thing he's been in. <laughs> well, I told you he was in Red Dawn. He was in the remake of Red Dawn. I had that. Okay, to round us out, final question. Uh, leaping off thematically from this one, where the fuck is Josh? Hannah. John, yeah, you take it. Hannah, I heard you first. This is Josh Hutcherson in a Hunger Games. Not good enough, Hannah. Oh, fuck you! Johnny? Johnny. I'll say he he looks like he's successful, that he's gotten out of those games and he's feeling good about himself. He's like, well, I'm never going to have to do that again three more times. So I'm going to say this is Catching Fire. Mm, you would be mistaken. Oh, okay. Well, that's all I got. I, I don't remember the subtitles for the other ones. <laughs> Sam, do you have it? I don't know. Uh... Is there one called Mockingjay? Is that it? That sounds uh-huh. like a thing. Mm-hmm. Is There's this Josh two Hutcherson? Mockingjay. Oh, is this Josh Hutcherson in the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part One? <laughs> this many... is, of course, Josh Hutcherson <laughs> in the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part One. Okay, bravo. Point to Sam. Well deserved. I think my oh, wife fantastic. made me go see that at 10 in the morning because the Star Wars trailer was attached to it. And uh, <laughs> after it played, a lot of people left. And for the next two hours, I wondered why I wasn't one of them. All right. Well, uh, how'd you, Hannah and Johnny, where'd you come out on scores? We were tied two to two. Wow. Oh. Sort of like how you were all tied last time, zero to zero to zero to zero. 